is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 933KWTO and stream us on the 933 mobile app. Welcome back to KWTO, an hour down, hour to go. We're watching the what I would consider sort of the the fallout from 2020-2021 and the COVID era. Joining us now on the show Dr. Molly James, who's just filed a lawsuit against Mercy Healthcare System. Molly, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Molly, before we we jump into the lawsuit, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so by training, I am a trauma surgeon and critical care doc. So prior to the pandemic, I had been working at Mercy Virtual for about five years, um, part-time, and I was always really good to help fill in if they had gaps in the schedule, working extra through COVID, um, had no problems, and was considered to be highly qualified and, you know, pretty reliable as a team member. Walk us through what changed during COVID. How, how'd that impact you? Yeah, 2020, I feel like everything was above board. Um, the people on the ground were truly trying their best to help patients, and we just we tried a lot of things that didn't work very effectively during that first phase. Um, by the time 2021 rolled around, things were very different. So first of all, the vaccines came out, and there was just an entire change in personality, persona. Um, you know, people became very angry about these shots and the people who wouldn't get them. Um, so on one hand, we had vaccine mandates coming down. And on the other hand, you know, I was learning better ways to treat patients. Um, these were ways that other doctors had had success with. And when I brought this to the Mercy leadership, I was told absolutely no. I was not allowed to prescribe anything on the Math Plus protocol, IV vitamin C, ivermectin, um, and some other things. And um, so those two things kind of happened as 2021 was evolving. And then when the surge hit, uh, really it hit your area in, down in Springfield in late 21, like summer 21, um, and that's kind of when everything hit the fan, and I was I was basically dismissed because I they refused to honor my religious exemption. Let's let's go back a little bit. We'll get to the religious exemption, but first, you know, yeah. when you were recommending some alternative treatments, a yeah. why why where did you where did you find out about them? Who recommended them, and why they shoot you down? Yeah, good question. Um, so a lot of people have heard Pierre Corey's testimony in the Wisconsin Senate. Um, he was another intensivist. Um, he had been using this successfully. He had been massively censored. So I actually didn't find out about it until months after he had testified. So right in January of 21, I knew about ivermectin and FLCCC started to come on their radar. Um, Dr. Paul Merrick, of course, is very well known for this. And they had the math plus protocol. If you look at that, it has a, it has a number of different things that we hadn't been adding to the treatment protocols. One of the things I had a lot of interest in was IV vitamin C. You know, hospitals here in the St. Louis metro, the pharmacist told me they had no idea how to source it. Um, I order it every day into my clinic now, no problems. Um, so early 21, I actually was prescribing ivermectin and didn't have any problems. But as we got to summer, I started asking about it and really wanted to formalize using it. And the people who were using it were saying they were seeing better, better outcomes. And I wanted everybody to have better outcomes, obviously. Um, 
But when I brought that up to them, basically shot down across the board, orders were canceled, pharmacists pulled it off the shelf in different hospitals. It's it's so unusual to see this divide where some doctors recommend one form of treatment, some doctors recommend a different form, and then mm-hmm. the administration says, oh, we can't allow doctors to recommend the second source of treatment. I, I, I don't recall a period in history where that has happened. It's it's generally you go to the doctor that, that you feel more comfortable and they make the recommendation. Yeah, I've, honestly, in my... I'm not, I was always a hospital-based physician and in my career. I never felt like I was treating a patient and didn't have every tool at my disposal that I needed. Um, obviously, hospitals have formularies, so it might be brand X versus brand Y. Um, but I always felt like I had what I needed until COVID came around. And really, when you started to, um, you know, I had to be pretty well-informed before I stood up and started advocating for this. Um, and once I did and I started to ask questions about, well, why not? really the answers I got were not acceptable. They were like, well, I don't believe the studies that show that it works. And we're following the NIH protocols. So everybody who took the hospital-based approach just was falling in line with, with the status quo. They weren't critically thinking. They didn't have a good argument why to use remdesivir. Never saw a single patient benefit from remdesivir myself personally. Um, and neither did any one of them because it doesn't help anybody. So... I started to see these holes punching in their stories and it really separated the critical thinkers versus the people that just follow along and eat whatever spoon fed to them by the CDC. All right. So let's fast forward now. At some point you, you've talked about that, that mercy would not honor your religious exemption. Talk, talk to us about that. Yes. So first of all, I wanted to point out, I was a virtual ICU doctor. So my where I rounded from was right off of my kitchen in my office. Um, so that's just an important piece to the story, I think, um, because their argument that I was a risk to anybody really falls flat. Um, so the religious exemption that I provided basically said, you know, this is against my belief. I pray for my patients and over my patients. And I just, you know, feel my message has been not to take the shot. Um, Unfortunately, all these companies believe that that's an application process that they get to approve or deny, and that is not what the law says. Um, and I've helped a lot of people with their exemptions. You are invoking an exemption. You are not asking permission for one. And this is really what Mercy doesn't understand. Um, they put us through a process in which we were led to believe somebody would approve our exemption. And that was a committee that had no signature signatories to it. There was no one taking responsibility or accountability for the decisions that were made. And the process was quite onerous. So uh, like what ends up happening again? And just to, I know you mentioned this, but you're, you're treating people virtually, correct? Yes. (laughs) I mean, that's so insane. And it's funny because I know other people that worked for corporations, the corporations would just adopt a, a global requirement and the virtual mm-hmm. actually be like, well, we don't actually come into contact with anybody else. It's so insane. Yeah. Well, and it's important to point out, too. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to make the medical argument when I'm making the religious argument, but they both go hand in hand. Because at the same time they were denying exemptions to people, the majority of us actually had natural immunity because we had been on the front line for 18 months at that point. I was one of the first people I know to have COVID, and I caught it from somebody in the ICU um, in, my, in one of my other hospitals. Um, giving a shot to somebody who has natural immunity actually increases the risk of adverse events. 
And at the same time they're pushing this and starting to fire people, they had their vaccinated people calling in sick because they kept getting COVID over and over and over again. So um, I think that's an important perspective to add to this whole story. And then, you know, so you invoke your religious exemption. Talk to us about the process that 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 goes through. Yeah. So um, it should be a letter that you write that says, here's my beliefs and here's why it doesn't work. And you hand it in and that's the end of it. Um, If an accommodation needs to be made, then it gets made. Um, In Mercy's case, they made it an online process where you had to, you had a binary option to answer a a question A or B to proceed so that you could complete the application process. And they wouldn't accept religious exemptions unless you processed them through the online system, which didn't give you the option not to answer these questions. Um, So I received notification that my request was denied. I was notified the date I would be terminated, and I subsequently tendered my resignation so that I wouldn't have to work basically a holiday. <laughs> I was going to ask, so, okay, and, and I didn't know this part of the story. Why resign instead of forcing them to fire you? Is there any, is there any difference between the two? Literally just because of that, because I wasn't going to waste another holiday. I was a fill-in doctor. Um, okay, that was a part-time gig. So I did a lot of like overnights in my other ICU, and then I would come home and round for them to fill empty schedule. I was part-time, um, and I wasn't going to give them my holiday when I knew I was going to be fired. Uh, and so, okay, so you tender your resignation. Give us a timeline. When did that occur? Um, that was in August of 21, effective August 30, 21. And my understanding is just recently you filed the, the lawsuit. What, what, why'd you wait this long to file? So my lawyer would have to speak to that, but there's a process in Missouri where you have to file with ah, the... Yes. Yes. You got to go through the, what, the employment, uh, you have to file with the Division of Employment Security or something. Yes, and you have to get a right to sue letter. Um, we are still in process of that, but the timeline was coming up that we had to get the suit filed. Yeah, okay, that that totally makes sense. So you file suit. Where'd you file suit? Is it in in Cole County? Is it in St. Louis? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I filled all of that, so I actually don't know. Okay, uh, tell I think us it's on the documents that I posted for yeah. sure. Tell us, tell us what what is it you're actually asking for? Is it is it back pay? Is it an injunction? Is it your old job back? What's what, what what's the request? Yeah, um, I don't think we've determined that yet. Um, and this is why I really, they need to be accountable for the illegal actions that they took. They need to be accountable for breaking the law. That is my primary concern. Um, should there be financial damages? I'm certain there should. Um, that's not my primary intent with this. So, um really holding them accountable for what they have done wrong is the most important thing here. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, in looking at this, we went through 20 and 21 and it, it felt like I'm sure we've gone through eras like this before, but it felt like the first time in our lifetime that we watched, you know, they shut down churches for a period of time. They, they, they arbitrarily set up rules. I mean, the, the shelter in place, nobody go out of your home and let, and it was so unusual that I think a lot of people didn't even know how to react to it for a while. And I think yeah. your lawsuit, there's a variety of other ones. We're sort of seeing the recriminations of what governments and corporations did during that period of time where I think they dramatically abused their power. And now yeah. the question is, will the justice system right those wrongs, uh, you know, looking backwards? 
Yeah, I mean, this is a, was a tyrannical takeover of our country, and the only nonviolent way to fight this at this point is lawfare. Um, so I felt really necessary. I don't want, I, I'm not a litigious person. I don't have time to do this. I want to take care of patients. That's where, that's where I thrive, and we're being wildly successful doing that at my clinic. Um, so I don't want to take time away from that, but I also felt it's necessary. I've become a leader in this movement, and I need to do this. Tell us, you know, subsequent to this, you tender your resignation. Where do you work now? Yeah, so I opened my own clinic. Uh, it's James Clinic. We are in Ellisville, Missouri. Um, I also have a clinic in Iowa. We're treating vax injured, long COVID. Um, we're just really, if anybody is, has engaged with corporate medicine, you know that they're inside a box. And, and now more than ever, their recommendations are checking a protocol. It has no individualization. And it has no, there's no room for your personal beliefs or desires or what you want to do. If you'll take this drug or else you won't be a patient here. And at my office, we're outside the box and we are getting amazing results. We have patients getting healthy, sleeping well, dropping weight, reversing diabetes every single day. And it's so much fun. One of the things I've noticed is you see a lot of people that receive the vaccine and, and often multiple boosters. They have had severe cases of covid and they yes. continue to have symptoms from that and a lot of yes. them blame covid say it's long covid and they'll say well if i hadn't taken the vaccine i probably would have died what do you is that your understanding or, or do you think that there's some symptomology that's coming from the the, the various boosters there's absolutely no evidence i mean that is a talking point that is propaganda that i would have died and I would have to say the Democrats and politicians in this country have done a great job pushing that narrative. Um, I would tell people across the board that the shots suppress your immune system. Um, they are pro-inflammatory, which is the last thing you want. They are pro-thrombotic, which means they cause blood clotting, heart attacks, and strokes. Um, we have been seeing this. They cause myocarditis. And instead of taking an approach where we stop, pause, slow down for these safety signals, they've doubled down and moved forward. Um, I think the American public is pretty on to this at this point. If you look at the booster uptake now, it's pretty low, like less than 15%. Um, so people are wise to this game. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that are injured. And if you look at what's happening in corporate America, they have another cash cow because they're taking these patients that have zero chance of getting better through their treatment because they won't acknowledge its spike toxicity and they won't treat with ivermectin and they're spinning them through the system with testing and referrals and consults tens of thousands of dollars later these patients are absolutely destitute they're broke and they're still symptomatic and now can't work so i see them victimized over and over by these systems let's say you have somebody that comes in and they're like okay i've taken these boosters i but i i'm, I'm still you know, I, I, I can't run like I used to. I can't work out like I used to. What's what's your treatment for them? Yeah, so it's a multi-tiered approach and it's individualized. So I start with two prescriptions, um, ivermectin and phenofibrate. Both of those have pretty good evidence that they bind up and sequester the spike protein. Um, I then hit them with two herbal uh, high-dose omega-3s and an herbal anti-inflammatory concoction that we have in our office. Um, to address the inflammation part of it. That's where we start. Um, and then after that, we look at the organ dysfunction that they have. So if it's cardiac, respiratory, rashes, 
neurologic, whatever it is, we then tailor the plan to them. So um, we have a couple of patients with severe neurologic issues. Um, we have everything from lifestyle intervention, supplements, prescriptions, IV vitamins, to we now offer EBU in my office, which is like oxygen dialysis for the blood. And it's really effective in these patients. Man, this is fascinating stuff. Uh, Dr. Molly James, thanks so much for joining us today. As we do every day, we finish up two questions. Uh, first is our question of the day. Every day on the show, we do a question of the day. Question of the day is Mm -hmm. different every day and everybody on the show has to answer the question. So the question of the day today is this, what's something you'll never pay full price for? Oh, um, flip flops. Oh, interesting. You get the, what the cheap old Navy ones? Yeah. Yeah, course. buddy. I, I've got like 20 in my house. I know, I know the ones you're talking about. Uh, finally, yeah. if anybody wants to follow along with your, your yeah. lawsuit or just in general, uh, follow along with the work that you're doing, how do they follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm at Malls, M-O-L-S, James, or at James underscore clinic. I'm on Instagram and Twitter most actively. Um, and then our website is jamesclinic.com. Hey, Dr. Dr. James, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was Dr. Molly James. Going to be really interesting to watch that process play out, particularly when, uh, as, as we discussed earlier, we're seeing a, a, a lot of these sort of postscriptive lawsuits for people who feel like their rights were taken away during this insane period of 2020, 2021, uh, even bleeding into 2022. Uh, it will be really interesting to watch how the judges and juries rule on these uh, we're going to be right back. We got more to come. Plus, today it's Friday, which means we got a snake draft coming up at 5:40. Maybe the most popular part of the program. The Gary Nolan Show. AOC. How we rating our media. She's not talking about MSNBC or CNBC. She's talking about talk radio.